Yep, I'm here. You can all hear me now, right? You're all awake, ready to hear the Word of God? I guess we want to reiterate the same thing we say every week, that in this church, the Word of God is the final authority in all matters of life, faith, and practice. We're going to study continually through the book of Hebrews right now. We've now arrived at chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 5 through 10, and then kind of just unpack that as we look at the deity of Christ, and we're going to look at what it means, as Dr. Carter and I were talking this morning, that we're Yahweh to be, or to cause to be. So, if you want to follow along in your scriptures with me, or on the overhead here, I'm going to read verses 5 through, I guess, 10. From the scriptures regarding earth being subject to man. For he did not subject to angels the world to come, concerning which we are speaking. But one has testified somewhere, saying, What is man that thou rememberest him? Or the son of man that thou art concerned about him? Thou hast made him for a little while lower than the angels. Thou hast crowned him with glory and honor, and hast appointed him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. Verse 9. But we do see him who has been made, there it is again, for a little while, lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God, He might taste death for how many? For who? For everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom all things and through whom all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to tell you to perfect the author of their salvation through suffering. So, I'm going to kind of repack or repeat a little bit of what we learned about three or four weeks ago. Look at slide three, verse seven. For you have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor and have appointed him over the works of your hands. So in the previous verses, we had read how small, weak, and frail we as humans are in comparison to the God of the universe. You see that word made. I don't know if you remember, the Greek word is alatu. It means, here it means less in rank or position. So church, this is a temporary position. It is not a permanent one. This does not mean in any way, shape, or form that God loves mankind less and the angels more. It does not mean that. It does not mean that the angels are more important to God than us. This is actually, church, a position of honor. That word little is important here, too. The Greek word is brakus. 
Here he's talking about a short period of time. So how do we make sense of this? Well, I want to share with you once more what I shared last month, uh, a view of a couple commentators. The NIV commentator unpacks it this way. Slide four. God has bestowed the highest possible honor on an earthly creature by creating them only a little less elevated than beings that occupy the heavenly sphere. Slide five. The Nikot commentary says this. The psalmist is overcome with wonder as he thinks of the glory and honor which God has bestowed on mankind in making them but a little lower than himself and giving them dominion over all of the lesser creation. So then, church, as we learned before, it would seem then that there's this time limit on this current position. John MacArthur says it this way, slide six. God has a destiny for man that will elevate him to king when he will be on at least an equal basis with angels. Something else to consider. Look at Revelation 3.21, slide 7. He he who overcomes, now look what Jesus is saying here. I will grant him to sit down with me, where? Let me say that again. I will grant him, the one that overcomes, I will grant him, to sit down with me on my throne. That's also a corollary scripture if you want to write it down. It's Matthew 19, 28 there. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Revelation 21, 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth passed away and there was no longer any sea. Can you imagine that? That's going to be like. I can't even imagine. <clears throat> so what is this telling us? Well, it's kind of apparent through the Word of God that things are going to be a lot different in God's new kingdom than they are now. Amen? Amen. The saints of God are going to receive the kingdom and possess it forever, as you just read. Now read how the writer of Hebrews continues. He says, now, for a little while. Look at slide 8. For a little while. You've crowned him with glory and honor. God's clearly speaking that he has a plan for those who are his and that they're going to be elevated to a kingly position. You've appointed them, him, over the works of your hands. So what does he mean by appointed, church? Kathistome. Well, in the Greek, this this particular word isn't speaking of something that's temporary. It's speaking of something that is permanent. So that word appointed here, have appointed him over the works of your hands. That means to place down permanently, to appoint someone permanently to a position. What is this telling us? God has a permanent position for us, his bride. And it seems from the text that we will be ruling creation with him. Remember what he said? I will grant him to sit down with me where? On my throne. So we're going to be receiving a crown that will never fade, will not rust, will not wither. Why? Because it's a crown of glory and honor, as the text just said. So let's look at verse 8 now. Look at slides 9 and 10. 
You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet, see that word, yet, see all things subjected to him. And here's how the New Living puts it, slide 10. You gave them authority over all things. Now when it says all things, he means nothing is left out. But we have not yet seen all things put under their authority. That word subjection, you see there in the text. It's a Greek word, hupotasso. I don't know if you recognize that from previous, previous teachings. Hupotasso, hupo meaning to place under, to be under someone's authority. So what do we see here? God had created man to rule. Man was given lordship over all creation. And all things were to be under his authority, as we've already seen in Genesis 1.26. But we don't see that currently happening. Why? He says, but we do not yet see all things subjected to him. Why? Well, church, the answer is sin. And if the church doesn't teach about sin, run away from it. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Church, when Adam sinned, all of his progeny, all of mankind fell with him. Man lost his kingdom and his crown. <clears throat> and man's heart is defiant towards the gospel. Well, where does it say that, Pastor Jack? Well, I'm glad you asked. Slide 11. Genesis 6, 5. Then Yahweh saw that the wickedness or the evil of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Wow. Church, let's be honest with the Lord because he knows us better than we know ourselves. The mind of men is defiled. The thoughts of the heart is evil. We know corruption is ingrained in our hearts. It's interwoven within our very nature. Why? Every one of us is children of the fall. We were born with a sin nature. Nobody had to send you to school to learn how to lie or to take something that doesn't belong to you. When you were a little kid, just like my son Gabriel, I've shared this before, when he was four, and my wife said, now Gabe, you know, we're going to be having dinner soon, so leave the cookies alone. We're downstairs, and you hear the chair dragging across the floor. You're up, boom, eats, evidence all over. Did you eat the cookie? No, no. Now, I know you're all sanctified. That ain't happening, but that's okay. That's it. So... All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all sin in thoughts, words, deeds, actions, and motives. Thank God for the gospel. Thank God for Christ and his blood. But that is why we do not yet see all things subjected to man. And it's important to understand that God not, did not intend for all things to be this way, but it will only continue to be this way for a little while, as you saw in the text. Because of what Jesus the Christ did on that cross, redeemed man will reign with Christ and everything will be subject to him. Now let's look at verses 9. Let's look at verse 9 here and we see a shift. Slide 13 to 14. But we do see him <clears throat> who was made for a little while lower than the angels. Namely who? Jesus. 
because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. You should circle that verse, church. Highlight it, underline it. Here's how the NLT says it. What we do see is Jesus, who for a little while, there it is again, was given a position a little lower than the angels, and because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. Boy, that's, that's the gospel right there. Now, I know Dr. Carter wants me to teach this. We're gonna, I want to teach you very briefly about something called a chiasm. Because I know you're all great seminary students. And Dr. Carter is a great hermeneutics teacher. So what is a chiasm in Scripture? What, is, what are we talking about here? What is this that we're talking about? A chiasm is simply a repetition of similar ideas that are replaced in kind of this reverse sequence. So let me break it down, slide 15. But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, right? Because of his suffering and death, and here's the other part. So now, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he may taste death for everyone. So there are the four clauses in this verse that form what is called a chiasm. There's your seminary lesson for the day. You'll be tested by Dr. Carter tomorrow. So let's tease it apart. Slide 16. We do see him who was made a little while lower than the angels, or the NLT, for a little while... He, for a little while was given a position a little lower than the angels. So here in this verse, church, we see this shifting from the focus on man. Now the focus is on Christ. And let's be honest. The only reason a man can ever rule with Christ is, of course, the curse is removed and the sin debt is paid in full. Jesus, who has always existed with the Father from all eternity past, there's never been a time when Jesus did not exist, okay? He condescends. What does that mean? So this Jesus, he comes to earth, and he created the earth, and he becomes a man fully. Heart, skin, hair, teeth, nails, eyes. He becomes a human being. He did something that we could never do. He lived a sinless life in his humility and tasted death for all of us. It is only that sin offering, which is Christ, that God the Father would accept. No angel could do it for you. Do not be misled. Jesus Christ is not Michael the archangel. He is God the Son. He is fully God and fully man. And he is the only offering that the Father would accept. Isaiah 53 goes through it for our sin, to pay our sin debt in full. So this Jesus takes the full weight of his Father's anger and wrath against sin in his own body and pays the debt in full. So remember, if a man dies in his sin without Christ, he is doomed to hell forever, no exceptions, and there is no other way into heaven except through the cross of Christ. Amen. There may be 7 million religions out there and a lot of people are saying, oh, they're all the same. They are not the same. Amen. Don't be misled by the supple craftiness of sin. Amen. So let's back this up. Let's look at slide 17 and 18. Isaiah 53. 
<clears throat> Here we have a picture of God the Father punishing his son on our behalf. The Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And here's the NLT. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life was made an offering for sin, he's going to have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. So hear me this morning. Jesus became a curse so that he could redeem us from the curse, church. Well, where does it say that? Well, I'm glad you asked again. Look at slide 19 and 20. Slide 19, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he made him, that's Christ, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You and I don't have a righteousness of our own. There's nothing we can do on our own ever to make ourselves right with God without Christ. Don't be misled. We will never be good enough. Look what MacArthur says. I think it's my father-in-law excited when I quote MacArthur. He says this. He became a man so that he could die. He came to die because his death is the only, and only his death, could accomplish man's salvation. <clears throat> Those tiny hands fashioned by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb were made to take two great nails. Those little feet were made to climb a hill and be nailed to a cross. That sacred head was made to wear a crown of thorns and that tender body wrapped in swaddling clothes was made to be pierced by a spear. It was God's ultimate plan for his son and his ultimate gift for mankind. Don't ever forget that, church. So, back in Hebrews, he, again, he says, for a little while. <clears throat> we saw that back in verse 7. So his humiliation was for a short period of time, which was necessary to accomplish redemption for all of us. So then, because of his suffering and death, because of his humiliation, the Bible says he was crowned with glory and honor. So in our last time together, we looked at these words so we could better understand what the writer Hebrews was saying to us. That word glory, that's the Greek word doxa. We, some churches do something called a doxology at the end of their service. See, a doxa, or glory, church, it has the idea of a person who is worthy of respect, a person who is worthy of reverence and devotion, adoration. It has the idea of this deep, abiding respect for someone. So when you say glory to God, you're saying, God, you are worthy of respect when you say glory to God. When you say glory to God, you deserve the reverence and devotion and the adoration. Then he uses the word honor, the word teme. The, the word honor talks of something that's really weighty and heavy. Really heavy. So today when we think of honor, we think of highly esteeming someone, revering someone, a person who is obviously worth their respect. That's honor. So let me ask you this question, slide 21. Here's the tough questions. 
Does the way that you and I live out each day reveal to other people that we honor and glorify God in everything we say and we do? Oh, it got quiet, Dr. Carter. Let me ask that again. Maybe you didn't hear me. Does the way you and I live each day, does it reveal to other people that, that this Jesus, that we honor him because he's worthy of respect, he's worthy of devotion and reverence and adoration and things that we say and do? That's a tough question, isn't it? He then says he was crowned with glory. The Stephanos, the crown. These attributes of glory and honor that we see here are the attributes of God's kingship. Every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess, church. He is worthy of receiving the glory and honor and praise. I like what Paul wrote in Philippians 2. Look at verses, slides 22 through 24, verses 5 through 11. Have this attitude, some Bibles use the word mindset. The Greek word there is phreneo. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. What was the attitude? What's, what's he talking about? Who, although he, that's Jesus, existed in the morphe, the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. And then we have the word kenosis, and I don't have time to go into that, but <clears throat> he emptied himself. He, was, he took on the form of a slave, a doulos, a bondservant. He was made in the likeness of men. He was found in appearance as a man. He was fully man as well as fully God. <clears throat> and by the way, I don't have time to go into what it, he never stopped being God when he was fully man. What else did he do? The attitude. Remember, look at the, the antecedent all the way back in the beginning. The attitude, right? For this reason. Well, let me finish verse 8. He humbled himself, which is part of the attitude, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So for this reason, <clears throat> because of all that, God the Father highly exalted. It doesn't say exalted highly, and we'll cover that in a minute. He highly exalted him. And he bestowed on him a name that is above every name, above every name, church. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow of those who are on earth or who are in heaven, on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ as Lord, Amen. the curios, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Do we see all that there? The Bible speaks of our Christ, fully God, fully man. Not half God, half man. He's not a demigod. Fully God and fully man. So that by the grace of God, he may taste death for everyone. Slide 25. We can ask the question, well, why did Jesus suffer and die for us? We're not worthy. It was the grace of God, church. Can you imagine how much? Now think about this. Can you imagine just how much God the Son loves you? Amen. Have you ever stopped for a moment having this attitude and think about He loves you? 
Think about that. He loves you. His free loving grace and mercy and kindness. We do not deserve it. In fact, we all deserve death. Yet God's riches at Christ's expense. What does that word charis mean? Grace, it means unmerited favor. Choosing to have that unmerited favor for someone that doesn't deserve it or isn't even worthy to receive it. Yet you do it anyway. How about slide 26, 27? 1 John 4, 9 and 10. By this, the agape toy, the love of God, was revealed or manifested in us. By, by this, the love of God was manifested or revealed in us. That God sent His only begotten Son, the monogenes, the unique one. No one else like Him. So that's where we get our English word unique from. The word's monogenes, one of a kind. His only one of a kind begotten Son into the world so that you and I may live through Him. And this is love. What is he saying? Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So God the Son took the full brunt of every filthy, rotten, sinful thing we ever did in his own body. It was like the lightning rod of, from heaven from the Father was thrown down onto the Son. And the Son paid our sin debt in full. There's the gospel right there. If somebody says, where do we find that in Scripture? You can say, oh, let me take you to 1 John 4, 9 and 10. Let's look at verse 8, Philippians 2, 8, slide 27. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on the cross. So that word found here, being found in appearance, has the idea is they could recognize and see that appearance, that form, that shape, that outward experience, that pattern, perceptible to the senses. In fact, that word appearance... You guys didn't even realize, you know, you agreed. That word appearance is where we get our English word schematic from. You ever get those schematics when you're trying to put something together from like Ikea and you're going, <laughs> good luck. It's the word schema or schematic. So he was found in appearance as a man. What do we glean from the teaching? Those who saw Jesus that day could clearly see that he was a human being just like they are human beings. <clears throat> and Jesus suffered the humiliation of being a mere man. Can you imagine he condescended the God of the universe that's spoken into existence, condescends, comes down, and clothes himself in, in, in that red clayish dirt called a human being. Can you imagine the God of the universe? Look out at, at the universe and imagine the very God that pinned the scars in the sky and calls him by name, and all those planets... Condescends, comes down into this baby in a womb. Can you even imagine that? The God-man. So Jesus, who is God, was, was found to be a human being. His humanity, church, was fully recognized. And a point that needs to be made here is this, and I'm going to say it again. Jesus Christ was never half man and half God. He is fully man and fully God. And don't you make any mistake about it. There's a man in heaven. 
the God-man sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and I. Think about the humiliation leading up to the cross. Think about this for a minute. He humbled himself. Hupotasso. He humbles himself. He, 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 he was submissive. He did not seek the stage, prestige, and privilege and honor that it was due him. He did not seek any of that while he was here that way. Think deeply about that humiliation leading up to the cross. First of all, being arrested, his trial, which was an illegal trial when it was held. He was mocked, spit on, tortured, blindfolded. Beaten with fists. They blindfold him and punched him in the face. The big Navy SEALs of that day, that Praetorian God, punching him in the face. Who hit you? Having his beard ripped out of his face. Yet through all of this, a crown of thorns placed on his head, beaten down on his head. Jesus never fought back. He never got defensive. Wasn't bitter. Wasn't demanding. Wasn't accusing. He refused to assert his rights as, the, as God or as a human at that, point, at that point. Look at what Paul Reese writes, slide 28. Paul Reese says this. Look at him, this amazing Jesus. He's helping Joseph make a yoke in that little carpenter shop in Nazareth. This is the one who, apart from his self-emptying, could far more easily make a solar system or a galaxy of systems. Look at him again. He's dressed like a slave with a talent basin for his menial equipment. He's bathing the feet of some of his friends of his who, but for their quarrelsomeness, should have been washing his feet. He humbled himself. Slide 29. Don't forget this, cries Paul, to the dear friends of his at Philippi. Don't forget this when the slightest impulse arises to become self-assertive or self-seeking and go and break the bond of your fellowship with one another. Boy, that hits you right in the eyes, doesn't it? How often are we self-seeking and self-asserting? How often do we want our own way? Paul then, his next statement says, he became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's the outcome. And then verse 30, or slide 31, Philippians 2.9. For this reason, God highly exalted him, bestowed on him, Name above every name. So, what do we when he says for this reason? Here we now see the purpose and result of all that Christ endured. Jesus's exaltation. God highly exalts him. It's interesting that word "exalt" is actually two Greek words. Where we get our English word "hyper" from? Hyper, hoopso. Hooper meaning above and over. Hoopso meaning to lift up and over. Think deeply about it when he says highly exalted. God the Father has lifted the name of his Son above and over all other names and bestows on him to give something freely and willingly to confer an honor or a right. He bestows on him an honor and a right. Now we see God the Father acting upon God the Son. Jesus who had humbled himself, is now exalted to the highest place of supreme honor. The one who was shamed by a slave's death on a cross, 
which was at that time, church, the lowest place imaginable for any human being is now given a name above all names. And was bestowed on him. I want to close with just some names of Christ. Look at these names, slide 32. Almighty One, who is, who was, and who is to come. Right? The Almighty One. Who is, who was, and who is to come. Revelation 1.8. He is the Alpha and Omega, the first and last letters of our Greek alphabet. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Revelation 22.13. <clears throat> Here's another good one. Our lawyer, our advocate. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus the Christ, the righteous one. That's 1 John 2, 1. Slide 33. <clears throat> he is the author and perfecter of our faith. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down at the right hand on the throne of God. Hebrews 12, 2. He's the authority, church. Jesus is our authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Matthew 28, 18. Here's another one. He's our bread of life. Again, these are names and attributes directly speaking of Jesus the Christ. Notice it's all throughout Scripture. <clears throat> Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. John 6, 35. Slide 34. He's the beloved Son of God. And behold, a voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Matthew three seventeen. Here's another one. He's our deliverer. And to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. That's 1 Thessalonians 1.10. He is the one called faithful and true, church. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, and whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice he judges and wages war. Revelation 19.11. He is the good shepherd, church. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. How do we honor him, church? Think about it. He lays down his life for us. How are we honoring him? John 10, 11. He is our great high priest. Look what it says. Therefore, since we have a, not many, not a hundreds or thousands, since we have a great High priest, who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Hebrews 4.14. 4, Here's another important point. He's the head of the church, not me, not the pastors. Jesus is the head of the church. All things are put under his feet, gave him as head over all things to the church. Ephesians 1.22. And here's the ego ami, or the I am. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, ego, 
I'm E. I am. By the way, you can also link that back when, it, when the bush was burning. I am that I am. I caused to be. The title of the sermon was to be Yahweh. I call, he causes to be what he causes to be. Jesus is using the same words back when he was there at the burning bush. That's powerful. Amen. See, Jesus is not just New Testament. You can find Christ throughout all the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. He is Emmanuel. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. God with us. Isaiah 7.14 Church, he is the king of kings. These will wage war against the lamb. And the lamb, that's Jesus, will overcome them. Because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Ask yourself, does that identify you and I? Chosen and faithful. Revelation 7, 14. And he's called the Lamb of God. John the Baptist sees Jesus coming towards him. He says, look, everyone. <clears throat> the Lamb of God who literally carries away the sin of the world. John 1, 29. And here's the other one. Light of the world. By the way, this, that word light there is not the word bios or the word lumen. The, the word there is the Greek word phos. What is different between the Greek word phos and lumens? Because, you know, you'll see in a box of light bulbs, so many lumens, right? That word phos, listen to me, is a light that was never kindled and can never be quenched. Amen. That word phos is a light that always was. Amen. That should fire you up. The light that always was is the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He lit you up for a purpose. And that purpose was that whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, you are to glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are His. Do we do that, church? I know this was a lot to fit in our ear this morning. I know there was a lot of stuff here. But I wanted you to see everything in Scripture points to the one to be. The, uh, the great I am. The God-man. From Hebrews to Revelation, from Genesis to Revelation, the 39 books of the Old Testament, the 27 books of the New Testament, all point to this Redeemer, this Creator, Sustainer, Ruler of the universe, who is Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning. If you're listening around the world, bow your heads. I know I asked some tough questions. Are we the ones that are called chosen and faithful? Ask yourself this question. This is an important question. Here's one fact you all need to understand. Unless the rapture comes, you're all going to die a physical death. You're all going to, at some point, draw your last breath here on earth. This is really, really important. Because we're talking about your soul in eternity. This isn't something to be cavalier or coy about. This is very, very important. Someday, you're not going to be alive on earth anymore as you are right now. And you are going to be ushered before the great Bema seat, the judgment seat of God. And you're going to be asked a question. 
why should I let you into heaven? And there's only one answer to that question, church. You're not going to be able to say, well, I did much more good than bad. That doesn't get you in heaven. Being a good person doesn't get anybody into heaven. Well, I tithe doesn't get you to heaven. Well, Pastor Jack, I was baptized. That doesn't get you into heaven. None of that gets you into heaven. A lot of people don't take it seriously. We walk around acting like we're going to live forever. The Bible says it is appointed for a man to die and then the judgment. The Bible does not say, well, when you die, you get, to, you get a second chance. You will not find purgatory or second chance anywhere in the 66 canonical books of Scripture. It's not there. The Bible does say it's appointed once for a person to die and then the judgment. So I'm only telling you what the text says. And the only way that you will ever end up in heaven is if you come to a saving faith in a person whose name is Jesus Christ. There is no other name on earth or in heaven by which any of us can be saved. One name, Jesus Christ. What does it mean? That means that you come to this place where you realize that you have no ability on your own to make yourself right with God. On your own, you and I can never make ourselves right with God. You don't clean up your life and then come to church. It doesn't work that way. Okay? The only righteousness that you and I will ever have is a righteousness that was granted to us or placed on us by God the Father because of what God the Son did. Righteousness is the act by which God declares a person right. I can't do that to myself. Only God, the Holy Spirit, working in me where I come to a faith in Christ can make that happen for me and for you. So, you must come to this place where you come clean with God. You confess to Him. You are a sinner. He already knows that the confession is not for His benefit. It's for yours. The Greek word is homogaleo. If we confess our sins, he is then faithful and just to forgive us of sins and to continually cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Remember what I told you. The very worst about you and the very worst about me was then taken by God the Father and placed on God the Son. God the Son pays all that debt, pays every drop of that debt, by shedding his blood on that cross. Gives up his life. The very best about Jesus is then taken by God the Father and now placed on you. So you can go into glory only because of the finished work of what Christ accomplished for you and I on that cross at Calvary. That's the only way it happens. There's no other way in Scripture or anything that is going to make it happen. So I hope you're taking it seriously. Because now is the time for you and I to get right with God. The way this world is going, we don't have a lot of time left. It doesn't take a rocket science to figure that out. Amen? Your life and my life could be snuffed out sometime today. Are you prepared to meet him in the condition you're in? What will you be doing? Hopefully you won't be at a bar sucking down the booze or getting high with the crack or the heroin or anything when he comes because then you're going to be looking at him and it's going to be like, oh, you know, uh-oh, like a deer in the headlights. Too late. I want to encourage you to surrender your life to Jesus Christ 
as he has been freely offered to you and I in the gospel. Confess your sins. Turn from them. Place your faith and trust in what Jesus did for you because, as you just read, he loves you. Why treat somebody that loves you that way? Why do it? Please look up and receive God's blessing. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Shake hands, meet and greet, and line up for an incredible lunch. Thanks to our Hopewell family.